0: Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> um, so for last week, this week um, we looked at many um, of sukin regarding the, the root of the term inoi, uh, which I decode its meaning in Tanakh. And we noticed various pieces of evidence that it might uh, refer to a fast and maybe something, a broader set of uh, activities. Uh, we especially noticed um, no problem. You especially pay attention to the juxtaposition um, of uh, or the context of the commandment of Inouye in Vayikra uh, for example with the lota say of melach, lota, and also Shabbat Shabbaton Yelachem um, that should be a quintessential Shabbat for you um, And uh, we noticed that even though the tradition in general takes uh, the commandment to be uh, one of the uh, low-ta to say the initen is formulated in the positive, but the set of activities associated with it are about, you know, low basically meaning don't do, don't eat and drink, etc. Um We noted that uh, in various points in the tradition that um, we are uh, in the tradition, we, uh, see a more act, more active um, acts of inoi whether that be um, customs of flagellation on Arab Yom Kippur, whether that be um, perhaps even in certain ways certain understandings of the mitzvah to eat on the ninth of uh, of Tishrei, which um, which some sources seem to indicate is is the uh, is associated with Enoi designed to increase the Enoi of Yom Kippur. Um, by uh, by making one uh, sort of accustomed to eating much, uh, whether that be actually on the shuvot that we saw last week, some other responsa uh, um, noticing mean, minhagim in Turkey to, for example, to set one's table with um, a lot of food and sort of actively stare at it, um, and uh, to note that one is not partaking thereof. So these are all um, positive um, enactments of Inouye, um which. Uh, which we can sort of uh, pin on or associate with the positive conjugation of the verb um, in Raikara, but also think more broadly um, psychologically or religiously for the religious impulse, psychological impulse to engage in sort of positive uh, means of achieving Kampara. Uh, what I want to do this week is take a look, as I, noticed, as I noted last week, take a look at some of the Stigyots or part of the Stigyots at the beginning of the Eighth Parak of Yuma regarding, um, regarding the, uh, the commandment of... Uh, of Inu and how it's understood in Chazal. Um, I'll actually give you a, a, a new packet anyway, whatever, but uh, that has other material also we can talk about later. I have two things today. One is two packets we use side-by-side. Side. One is pieces from the Gemara there in the eighth pack of Yuma, and I also have uh, some selections from the Rambam in Hilchot Shvitata Sor, where he discusses um, Chodomakipurim. Just interestingly, he calls it Hilchot Shvitat Sor. Hi. Hi. Like, mm-hmm. This is yeah, the um, story. Sorry, we're just uh, are getting going, but please take a seat. Um, I was just reviewing what we did last week before, <laughs> but we sort of just finished that process. Uh, so we're starting here now with uh, two handouts: one from the Gemara uh, Yuma and one from the Raman from Eimani to so Chassidut We'll use both, sort of like we'll toggle back and forth between the two,
1: okay.
0: and. Um, and I want to just make a few separate couple points about, about Inouye, and then I'll, in case I'm, I'm not sure if you, if you saw the email as well, that as is 9 at 10:25, we will break and go to the big midrash for a very short uh, marking thereof. Um, and then, time allowing, if we can get back in here, you know... Uh, with enough time, we'll continue with the year after that. That's my pl- that's my plan at least. What's your name again? Rana Hi. John. Um, Nothing yes. Okay. So and you'll need a Tanakh as well. So here you go. I have one. You have one. one. Okay. Good. Okay. So just to, just just first of all, if you open up again your tanachim, just to have the pasuk so so in front fun of us. Opening your tanachim to by to chapter, and to chapter 16 and towards the end of chapter 16 especially page
1: 246
0: uh, verses 29 and on 246 246 Two, <speaking in Hebrew> Ta anu It's in the bottom, 52:46. V'chom This shall be for you a day of ta and et Again, GPS translates as uh, you shall practice self-denial. A day of practicing self-denial, day inoi, and you shall not do any malachah. For on this day you will, there will be kapara for you, atonement and tahara, purification or cleansing. Verse 31. Shabbat Shabbatoni lachem. It shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for you, as JPS has it, a quintessential Shabbos. And again, you shall practice self denial, chukat etc. Now, the Gemara, and this will be, we'll take a look uh, over here in your Gemara handouts. Um, I'll walk you through it. I probably don't have translation, but I'll just walk you through it. Um, the Gemara, we are in uh, in uh, the eighth peck of Yuma, and Aindal Amud Bet. And the Gemara there says, Hi, you'll need, a, you'll need these handouts. The Gemara there says, as follows, Tanu Rabbanan. So when with me, it's just a page 316 on the top. I endowed on the bet. Tanu Rabbanan, the rabbis talks so of the Talmud is citing a canidic text, an extra non-meshneic canidic text, a breaka, says the uh, says the Gemara. So it's a breaka. Tanu Rabbanan. Ta'andu anashoteichen. So this is a Midrash Halakha. This is a uh, halakhic exegesis. I'm um, on the verses, uh on the verses here. This is focusing on verse twenty-nine, which we just read, And the Brightha wants to understand um what uh constitutes fulfillment of this verse, Okay, verse uh chapter sixteen, verse twenty-nine, Ta'anua Nashotychan. So the ver says the Brah says, Ya fal yeshiva Perhaps one would, would might have thought this is called the Havimina. Perhaps one might have thought it will be rejected. Perhaps one might have thought that the way we fulfill the mitzvah of ta'a, New et nashot is by and look what it says. It says, "Yachol yeshi b'chamayi one should sit in the sun, or but sinah or in some sort of cold place." ta'er in order to achieve, in order to achieve or uh, uh, to achieve pain, or to become pained. Um, so we're right now, after you open your, your Tanakh over there, we're also looking at the sheets. Um, know. Perhaps that's how one fulfills in. Perhaps one should sit in the sun or the cold. Talmud Omer, the verse teaches therefore, um, in sort of distinction, in right? order to reject that uh, hypothesis, the Chomolachalo tasu the Majajah says, note that the commandment of Inoi is followed by the commandment, the negative commandment of, do not do any malacha, any work, any creative labor. Now, it's interesting, before we get to the, what, they, what they mean by that juxtaposition, how, why that's significant about juxtaposing um, the storm malacha the, com- the prohibition of Malasa with the commandments of Inoi, the Hava mean here that is to say the hypothesis the suggestion of maybe we should sit in the sun or the cold mm-hmm. maybe that because Inoi. one thing which is very interesting about that is that it, again it, that's a positive that is to say that, is, that would be a Kumba Ase we call it that would be proactive Inui, because you have to go sit somewhere in the sun, uh, go sit somewhere in the cold. You move yourself from your current place and go to someplace else in order to achieve tar and perhaps that would constitute inui. Um, um, that's one thing which is very interesting about that about that halva. I mean, uh, even beyond the actual idea that like you achieve it by those ways and not by what we're used to. Um, that would and that would which would make sense because of the positive conjugation of the verb ta'anu, right? That you should actively do this. So the medrash halacha effectively says no. Note that it's juxtaposed with or it's followed by the commandments of a chomelachalot You shall not lo ta'ase sheva al You do not engage in any malacha. So just like that, as the medrash goes on to say, sheva al sit and do not do. That's an idiom for you know a. A uh, passive, a refraining, a passive commandment—one which is fulfilled by not doing something—just like not doing milah is something which is fulfilled by not doing. So too, inoi nefesh So too, inoy nefesh—the commandment of Enoi is also one which is fulfilled by not doing. And therefore, sitting in the, getting up and sitting in the sun or sitting in the cold is rejected as, a, as the fulfillment of Enoi Nefesh because that would be involve a kumbaste, as we call it. That would involve a positive activity, not a negative activity. It's rather interesting. Now, the Gemara, by the way, I did bracket this off, but the Gemara does go on to, to, to say, well, what if you were already sitting, right? What if you were already uh, like sitting you know, in the sun or sitting in, in a very hot stool or a very freezing stool for most schools in the modern period, I suppose, <laughs> at least in our, our countries, with air conditioning, right? Maybe that would fulfill uh fulfill the Mitzvah of and the Gemara rejects that as well. But the core text here, the core writer that, that, that we have here, does um, something very interesting. One is that it rejects the option of fulfilling Inu Nefesh positively, proactively by looking to malacha. That's one thing which is quite, which is quite interesting. Um, but, however, what, what I think is also more, also, I shouldn't say more interesting, but what is also interesting is the linkage uh, of, uh, of Inu Nefesh and Malacha in a different sense. Um, and in order to elaborate on that linkage, what do we mean by linking Enoi Nefesh, on the one hand, the commandments of practicing self-denial as J.P.S. it, of the afflicting ourselves, of fasting, etc., um, with the commandments of the, Lothar, right? uh, the commandment of the commandment the they do not do any work. What do those two have in common? And here I want to put, uh, sort of uh, put forward or share with you, basically, a uh, reading of Maimonides, which the, some of the Soloveitchics developed. Um, I've heard of the name of various Soloveitchics, or Karnas Soloveitch, or Moshe Soloveitch, or Joseph Soloveitch, but that family, I guess. Um, maybe others also, but certainly they shared the following new Maimonides, um, which I think is actually a very, for me, existentially even a very interesting framing of Yom Kippur, of what it's all about. So with that, if you turn to your your accompanying booklet from the Torah, this is Maimonides, which this looks like this, and here this is Maimonides' halakhic magnum opus, as you may know. Um, where uh, he codifies uh, the oral law um, and this is in the first chapter of what's called this is on the top even, top right Hilchot Vitat Asur even that's very interesting when the Rambam is uh, naming when Naimonides is naming this collection of laws telling the story, if you will, of what we call Yom Kippur, Yom Kippurim. so he doesn't call it Hilchot Yom Kippurim. you know, before this he had Hilchot Shabbat and he also has after his hill yom to and he also has hilchotino you sukha, know, Sukkah, think I'm not no, here, this hilchot Lulove it cetera. But here he has uh uh hilchot shvitata so of seems to me like the Shvita, the resting, if you will, the resting, the sh the um on the tenth. And that's already very interesting for us. He
1: must consider
0: it essential. Right, he must consider it essential, essential for its nature that somehow um, some, the the nomenclature right, of the name of the day actually tells us much about its essence. Um, and that carries through within the beginning, of, the beginning of the halachos. It's worth noting, actually, even where he codifies Hilchot um, Shvitat Asur. I just mentioned this, actually, But in in Sefer Zimanim, the book, the book which is also found in the the big book of Zimanim, which is like you know, I guess sacred times, you'd call it, of times. So Maimonides talks about Hilchot um, Shabbat and Hilchot uh, Shabbat, and then he has Hilchot Shvitat Asur. And then, he has Hilchot Yom Tov thereafter, and after Hilchot Yom Tov generally, the halachot, the laws of holidays, then he gets into the laws of each individual holiday. So it's very interesting that Hilchot Yom Kippurim, or as he calls Hilchot Shri Tatasor, is not categorized under the rubric, or it does not follow the introductory Hilchot right? Yom Tov. Rather, it's actually before Yom Tov. It's like Shabbat, what we call Yom Kippur. And then he says, Yom Tov and each of the Yom Tobin, each of the holidays. So why does he put it before Hilchot Yom Tov? It's interesting. Categorically, why would he structure the book that way? So this closer.
1: This, yeah, exactly.
0: So this, uh, this is also a, a general discussion, which is not our topic, but if it's all related. Which is to what extent is Yom Kippur more like Shabbat or more like Yom Tov? Is it more of like we call Shabbos or more like Yantiv? What, what is it primarily? What's the primary experience? You know, on the one hand, uh, it's not like Shabbat, in the sense it's not the seventh day, and it, you know, it follows the the time of the Kaddish of Almanim. is to say that, you know, we have to sort of, uh, it's a humanly constructed time, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, on the other hand, you know, it looks a bit like, uh, and it's also not Shabbat in the sense, it's the Mishnah in, uh, the Mishnah in, uh, in, uh, in Megillah puts it it's not like Shabbat in the sense of Shabbat the punishment for violating it willfully at least theoretically is stoning Sila, it's the Yom Kippur is correct is, is spiritual excision so they're different um, on the other hand it's not like Yom Tov because one of the primary characteristics of Yom Tov is that one can engage in food preparation and um, at least uh, generally speaking one can cannot uh, do that on 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 uh, on Yom Kippur Um, there's also a commandment of uh, of engaging in Simchat Yom Tov which is hard to imagine doing that in Yom Kippur although that also has a lot of literature is there a commandment of Simchat Yom Tov um, Yom Kippur enjoying Yom Kippur fundamentally or not Uh, anyway so as I mean this I was listening to a shir by him and he, he made this point about the category, the order of the halachot and I thought that was kind of interesting It's one of the pieces of evidence that for the Rambam to Maimonides um, it seems that Yom Kippur is primarily more associated with Shabbat I think or at least I'm this time I hope I'm paraphrasing them correctly if not then you know take it as my own but uh, that Yom Kippur know, after you see here is already more of a Shittah story it's closer to a Shabbat experience than a Yom Tov experience um, and if you go into the first Salachot already I mean look how he talks in the very beginning he says it is a positive commandment mitzvah tzaseh mishibot v'malachah the It is a positive commandment to lishbol It's A very interesting formulation. They have for us to refrain from all work. Um, we, we could say to Shabbos from all work if you will. Now to do the same thing you do on Shabbat. Um, to rest to refrain from malacha as it says Shabbat Shabbaton hu lachem. And he goes on to say You have to describe you know which much are asur on Shabbat and Yom Kippur which. Activities are a store are prohibited, which which are, which are not. Um, and it's you know it's kind of interesting that he and if you turn the page until he doesn't get to the prohibitions of eating and drinking until halacha four. It's only in halacha four, that he says, and look how he says it. If you turn the page, he says, I'm skipping halacha three for the moment, although it's pretty important. He says, mitzvah at the yom kippur. And there's another positive commandment yom kippur. Vihi, vehi. Yes, He's going to say it's positive and negative, by the way. But vehi bo ma'achilav There's another positive commandment in Kippur, and that is, look at that same verb. This is what's really fascinating to me. Lishbot bo ma'achilav to Shabbat to refrain from eating and drinking, as it says, "Ta'adnu ed nashataychem, shall afflict your souls." Which, according to the oral tradition we've learned, is uh, fasting, right? Zahat so. whoever whoever fasts fulfills this positive commandment and whoever uh, on the other hand whoever eats and drinks you know first of all has nullified has has not fulfilled the positive commandment of engaging in inoi but also violated the negative commandment of you know whoever does not uh, engage in inoi right so uh, uh, so then the punishment would be spiritual excision be karit um, and as such, you see, there's a lot of say as well So for us, the main point I want to pull out for here Is this formulation of Very, very important For the Rambam in Hilchot Sur, In the Halachot of resting on the 10th He says there's two types of resting The first type of resting we said in Halacha Aleph The first Halacha was resting from Halacha So resting from work Alright, that makes sense, right? Like, just like on Shabbat, you don't do work Okay, so so Sotim Kippur, you don't do work. So you're Shovet Nimalacha, you refrain from Alacha. But then he says, and there's also another positive commandment, and it's just a funny formulation, it's not funny, it's an interesting formulation. A positive commandment, again, to refrain from. Always to refrain from, but So the, what you see from the Raman here is a framing of the afflictions, if we, as we call them, or the asceticism, or the uh, the, the you know acts of uh, physical refraining on Yom Kippur as acts of shivita, acts of shin betav, acts of shabbatting, if you will, right, shabbatting of resting. Um, And I think that's very interesting It opens a very interesting door For thinking about Why it is that we don't eat and drink On Yom Kippur As well as the other uh, Inuyin Which we'll come to In just a moment In Halakha He gets to those other uh, Things that we do The other things in the list um, In uh, the next Halakha In in Halakha 5 But for here Then I'll just take your points In one second please But here We see that the Rambam Seems to make the Very bold claim uh, The very bold claim um, which I don't know if there's any explicit precedence for, but I think there's implicit precedence, but much more than explicit precedence. It could just be that I just don't know of it. Um, that on Yom Kippur, which is again the Shabbat Shabbaton, the Shabbat of Shabbats, right? The quintessential Shabbat. Uh, what we're doing is engaging in, you know, a normal seventh-day Shabbat, you know, of a park Right, like, like, a, like, a, like a juggernaut, like an expanded version of that Shabbat. So normally on Shabbat, when we don't do things, when we're refraining from the world, we're retreating from the world, we are um, limiting ourselves. We, we limit ourselves from things like melacha. On Shabbat Shabbaton, yes, you limit yourself from melacha. You also limit yourself from eating and drinking, and actually other activities as well. So, perhaps what Maimonides is claiming for us is that when we're sitting on the Kippur and we're not eating and we're not drinking and we're not anointing ourselves or bathing or engaging in relations or wearing leather shoes, etc., what we're doing is engaging in a radical act of Shabbos. And that, to me, I think, to me at least, is very interesting, this notion. And then when we do, therefore, think, well, why is it on Shabbat that we don't do work? And then you simply expand that to Yom Kippur and say, well, in Yom Kippur, maybe it's the same type of orientation, but it's taken to a further degree. Um, so all of the notions of not doing work on Shabbat, and I'm sure everybody has their own sort of associations with Shabbat, right? Um, maybe many of them are positive about eating and drinking, etc., of course. But in terms of the not doing, about um, uh, human humility, about, um, about being rather than doing, Right, about appreciating rather than dominating, um, et cetera, About carving out a space, a neutral space, right? A vacuum from normal activities in which we can both reflect um, and grow in other ways. All the things that, you know, that we might uh, we might um, you know, although we might understand Shabbat, right, so too we'd understand Freedom Kippur as well. Same way Americans have on in a different way. I mean right, from Christian-Americans, you know, don't, you know, don't do and Shabbat either in a way, but even this with the cultural Sunday where, you know, you don't do as much work, so all the reasons that we would do that as well, right, time for other activities, time for fulfillment, time for family, etc., but also, in a more radical sense, time for um, a sort of consume, a contracting of our own a creative capacity, etc., take all of that, which would be the whole year of learning about Shabbat, but take whatever that is, that whole package, Put it on to Yom Kippur, but then expand it. So, you know, in terms of the takeaway for today, I'd say one major takeaway is thinking about I put forward to you to think about the possibility of looking at Yom Kippur. Actually, I think this year, like last year, there's a Yom, Yom Kippur Shacholiof Shabbat, is Shacholi Yom Kippur, which is on Shabbat, which affects the liturgy. Also, raises other inter- other interesting questions um, about Shabbat. The
1: interesting thing about Yom Kippur is, although they're trying to make this very close connection to Shabbat.
0: Yeah. So In why Because you, you don't have the, the owning own aspect
1: Well, yeah, you know, yes, exactly. But it it doesn't it doesn't feel anything like Shabbat.
0: Interesting. So okay, so I think so that's an interesting point. So is there is there a disconnect maybe the Shabbat, maybe the their work that you're that you are experiencing is not the Maimani's experience. So one of the one of the reasons I search this learning is Maybe you can open the window for having a different experience. Maybe there's a way of experiencing Shabbat and Kippur even absent the oneg, as you call it very well, even absent the positive, uh, vote. um vote. Since we're talking about the positive, by the way, let me make a brief digression. I mentioned it earlier, but very, 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 brief. It does say in the Chumash, right, that on the, this is a famous thing, that in the ninth day, may the Erev Ad Erev, from the ninth, the ninth day, from night to night, evening to evening, you shall you know, engage in, you know, inu. and this is a famous uh, thing, what do you mean by the ninth and the ninth, and, you know, when does Halakhic day start, when does the biblical day start, et cetera, et cetera, But there are a couple options in the Midrash, and just say in the Chazal. One is that, one option is that when we say you're supposed to be, you know, to begin on the ninth, and Kippur is actually the tenth of the day, this right, right? That's taken as a source for the commandment to what's called Tosefet Yom Kippurim, to add Yom to Kippur, that is to say, to take Yom Kippur on early. Right? So even though it starts calendrically on the 10th, we actually begin it on the ninth. Um, Tosefet Yom Kippurim. Actually, we do this, you know, the Jewish people do this on, often on Shabbat, Yom Tov as well. According to Maimonides, um, the only Tahana is a biblical commandment to engage in Tosefet Yom Kippurim. Uh, to Something right, to add on to, you know, a holiday is Yom Kippur, actually. Special so Yom Kippur to, to take on early. But another possibility is that, um, and this is also found in midrash Halakha, actually, is that anyone who eats, right, eats and drinks on the ninth of Tishrei, it is as if they fasted on the 10th. So when we say you're supposed to fast on the ninth and Erev Ad Erev, and evening to evening, so one of the other options in midrash Halakha is whoever eats, and drinks on Erev Yom Kippur on the ninth Yom Kippur, so this year that would be Thursday night. Friday, whoever eats and drinks on those days, it's as if they fasted on the 10th. So that's actually fascinating for a whole host of reasons. The Beit Yosef of Yosef Karo in his you know, commentary or, uh, on the tour, so he gets he has this whole thing about what, what, do what something Does that indicate that, like, you're supposed to be eating and drinking a lot, or does that yeah. indicate that, that ideally you really should... Even with that, I mean, really you should be fasting on the 9th as well, but if you eat and drink, it's that's, that's good enough? But it
1: sounds like what you should do on the 9th is eat more, so that when it gets to the 10th...
0: Ah, so this is exactly the question. I mean, why so so why, why is I mean, it... No so why is it that uh, we say that one should eat and drink a lot on the ninth? So there's a couple of different options. One option is that you eat and drink a lot on the ninth in order that the fast, which is this earlier, sorry, in order that, the not, that the fast should be harder on Yom Kippur. The other polar opposite option raised among the Rishonim, the medievals, is that you engage in much eating and drinking on the ninth in order to make your fast day easier on yom Kippur The exact opposite reading, a machlok of him if you will. Why is it that we don't why is it that we eat much on Yom the ninth? To make the fast day harder or to make it easier, right? I was always taught growing up was to make it harder, but the other Yoshonic opinion is that, you know, God has mercy on us and wants us to uh, commands us to fast, that's true, but also commands us to eat and drink a lot the day before to sort of uh, you know give ourselves provisions, fortify ourselves to make it easier. So it was a very interesting machloket. Um, but another way of thinking about the whole thinking about it is that actually the mitzvah and this goes to your point the mitzvah of eating and drinking on the ninth is in a way is in a way um, a fulfillment of the implicit commandment to eat and drink on Jum Kippur proper on the 10th now, it just happens to be that one is prohibited from eating and drinking on the tent in Yippur. Hatsom, it's a fast day. It's actually its character. So it's essential to its very nature. So there's a bit of a tension in the nature of the day. To the extent that it's a Yom Tov, for example, um, and to a different descent, maybe to a different degree it's a the Shabbat, then one has to eat and drink. On the other hand, to the extent that it's Yom Kippur, you can't eat and drink. What are you going to do? So what we'll do is, we'll eat and drink on the nine. And one way of understanding why we're eating and drinking on the 9th is that it actually is a form of Tov, if you will. a uh, form of fulfilling the commandment of, of uh, you know having physical pleasure and joy um, on on a holiday. So I think that's also kind of interesting possibility. So when you mentioned and shadow so not like Shabbat, right? We're not having a Suda, we're not having you know meals, no there's no Lakham Mishnah, there's no Kiddish, as you may know there's a whole discussion of course, what happens if someone has to eat Yom Kippur, they make Kiddish, no Kiddish, they bench they, they include Yom Kippur in the, the Bureaucratic they don't. This is all about the same question you realize. There's all these different manifestations of the same question um, which is uh, what's the character of the day um, but when you say there's no there's no eating and drinking so maybe this would be a way of saying actually there is it's just you don't see it because it's covered up by the prohibition of eating and drinking, but it, it sort of pops up again on the ninth, if you will, when so we're eating and drinking. So that's, those are all interesting things. Let me just sum up, and then I'll take any points. Um, so I'm I'll make sure we have a sort of a clear takeaway, which is that one thing I want to put out for today is the possibility that uh, Yom Kippur um, is actually a day of The eating and drinking, the aestheticism is actually a Shabbos thing, if you will, but a Shabbos thing par, par excellence. Um, and I have a few more things, few uh, things about this. Um, before we move on um, yeah there's just so many things to say but um, a few more things to say, to say about this we to, if you turn to Halakha He uh, the fifth uh, Halakha this chapter which is you can find on page 154 in the, in the photocopies in front of you so here's where he talks about the other Inuit, and the and the other afflictions similarly we've learned according to the oral tradition Shasur, the Chotzbo, that we may not wash oneself, annoy oneself, etc., etc. The other, where shoes engage in sexual relations on this day, these are the other, the other four, uh, Inuim. And he says, it is, uh, he says uh, uh, it's a mitzvah to refrain from these activities And here I underline it in Hebrew It's a mitzvah to refrain to Shabbat From these as well Just like one, doesn't, one, one is Shabbat From eating and drinking So again he uses the same term about being Shovei But it's other things as well Not just eating and drinking um, but we do note that he seems to distinguish between the eating and drinking on the one hand, that seems to be more of a core prohibition as opposed to the others. And this is a major tension in the Alessic literature. Already in the Gemara, maybe we'll see this in a few minutes, in the Gemara, um, um, we know that there is a biblical commandment of inoy of afflicting oneself in Yom Kippur, or you know, refraining, engaging in self-denial. How do we do that? So we know part of that's to do with not eating and drinking. And we know there's other activities as well you we can't do. These washing, etc. There's a major machloka, however, um, about how to categorize uh, these various refrainings. Because while clearly eating and drinking are, biblical, are considered to be biblical commandments, okay? however, you understand the word in the Bible, it's clear that Lacha tradition takes those to be takes that to mean fast, don't eat and drink. Um, there are those who think that the other four are actually rabbinic in nature That those are second tier prohibitions the primary prohibitions are chil and shi, are eating and drinking the other four are I mean obviously they're mandatory but they're rabbinic um, and this is uh, the reason we think this is for due di- to reasons including the fact that there are certain leniencies that arise with regards to let's say washing um, the mission talked about this already, that a king and a bride may wash their face, etc. But you would be surprised to find these, these exceptions if it's actually a biblical sweeping, you know, uh, sweeping uh, categorical biblical prohibition. If it's rabbinic already, then we can understand, perhaps, why we have such leniencies. Others disagree, by the way, and think that, no, they're actually all biblical. And the reason we have such exceptions might have to do with this very clear of that. Maybe only, the only, the say, washing, for example, the only, uh, prohibition of washing on the biblical level would be washing one's whole body. Washing less than one's whole body already is a different thing. That already would be rabbinic. But washing in general, washing your whole body would certainly be prohibited biblically. Or another way of understanding the exceptions would be to claim that um, the type of washing which is prohibited is only a certain type of washing. The t- washing of taanu, the washing, a, a, a washing which, you know, is pl- for sake of pleasure for oneg, right for for pleasure and washings which are not about pleasure per se would not fall under the prohibition right we also by the way we go to the mikvah on Yom Kippur you know uh, me that would go to the mikvah on Yom Kippur that's also emerging emerging in what's that? Kippur
1: night i don't straight back. No, night you go you you don't go know.
0: No, but on Yom Kippur. No, no I'm wrong about that. Oh, i totally wrong. I thought that an Kipper proper, fundamentally... So There's
1: actually an exception mm-hmm. for to wash on in and tissue Tishibab in order to do the Hespae Tower of the You have ah. to have a limited washing in that
0: area of body for that purpose, but you don't prepare for the Kipper. Interesting. So maybe I'm... If you make the night is cold during the night, like Friday night this year, you don't do anything,
1: and you just wait until 10. Okay, maybe I'm totally wrong. I'm not sure. That's how I was... That's your teaching, yeah. There's a prohibition a I would tell you, want to put the woman in a position of being available, but not provided. Yes, I'm
0: thinking of other mikvah. I would have to look into what I'm, what I'm, what I'm remembering. Um, yeah.
1: But, uh, you know, there's the, there was the experience of young for the literal experience in ancient times where it was like Sadie Hawkins' day, right? Where they would, the young girls would come out and
0: a mission on time yeah exactly
1: and and it was a day we found a wife I mean there it's not I mean I'm just saying that I mean the idea of it being a day of affliction (coughs) seems to always have been somewhat mitigated yeah, in, in in our tradition.
0: Yeah, so I mean that's yeah, that's a very important point. And the question is, is it mitigating the affliction or is it recasting the affliction? Right. That's why it's hard to find a good term. That's why the practice of self denial. Maybe affliction is not the right word exactly. You know, maybe there's no actual contradiction between the dancing and the white and people. Right. I mean, I'm not sure. Um, is, yeah. Do
1: any of the biblical passages that deal with Yom Kippur and Yom Kippur she used the actual word son no it's not, not about Yom
0: Kippur not about in other contexts they talk about Yom Kippur with, the, with the relevant mm-hmm. juxtapos so stone, but not Yom Kippur because
1: mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting in, I think it's in mm-hmm. Bukhariah right where the question comes up mm-hmm. son of this son of that of that right and God says I'm not the one who told you the that's true song. Other, well that's the other that's not right it's not going to be Yom Kippur anyway
0: Right, interesting. Now, if you just look on something else which is very interesting here is that <laughs> it's the next line which we left off by, right? It's, you know, Mitzvah, the Nicole Nicole, oh, I'm sorry, so I got a little distracted. The one thing I going to say is that so there are those who say that all the other four are rabbinic. There are those who say they're all biblical. And then there's the intermediate position which is very interesting put forward by the Ron. He claims that the um, the four other four, you know, you know, Inuyim, four afflictions—they're biblical in nature. That is to say, that the Torah commanded that one not, that one engage in, you know, that one practice self-denial. But, la, but the rabbis were given um, um, authority to define the contours and the parameters of that biblical commandment. Right? So it's sort of a mixed, intermediate position. So it's biblical in its sort of core, but what, what uh, practices constitute? that biblical prohibition biblical commandment um, were given over to the rabbis that's a very interesting position and there's all this debate about what the Maimonides meant in any event those are uh, that's a long-standing uh, long-standing debate um, but here in Maimonides um, you look at the next line over here he says when his father it's a mitzvah to rest from these, all these four sorry from all of these just like one rests from chila and Sh'tiyah and look what he says. he says as it says Shabbat Shabbaton he cites basically like a like a midrash halacha he says Shabbat Shabbaton it says that Yom Kippur is considered a Shabbat Shabbats I'm on page 155 basically right he says and look what he says when version in front of you he says Shabbat in terms of eating Shabbaton and it's you know of Sabbath <coughs> refraining from these other activities meaning the aforementioned right uh, washing anointing oneself wearing shoes and sexual relationships very interesting so Shabbat is Shabbat in terms of eating what he means by you may not eat and you may not drink like he said earlier I means both. and Shabbat what's very interesting is that this is the text in front of you However, if you just turn to the last page in the packet, or maybe it's the back of your last, their last page, to this, this over here, this is um, a printing. this is a photocopy from uh, Rav Kapas Maimonides, uh, one of the, the late the great Yemenite scholars. Um, and he, I underlined it, looks like this, this page. When he, Look how he talks. He says, Shabbat, Shabbat le'inyan melacha, See so where I underlined? Yeah. Same halakha, right? Shabbat Sha Ton. Shabbat Malacha, Shabbaton, Lina So he changed the girsa, the text in the Yemenite and all and he he says, this is the, he says this is the version in all of in all of our uh, in all of our manuscripts, and it's the correct version. So Surah Kaapaf, okay. Shabbat Shabbat in terms of not doing work. And sort a ton for everything else as opposed to our version, our version I should say, it, the version that we looked at before is I by our version um, which said Achila A lot of the same letters, by the way, you can see how that would happen. Right? about in terms of not eating. But those that that uh, that's a very interesting sort of uh, difference between the text because that
1: was I thought that's what the Rambam was going to say that Shabbat Shabbat Shabbat. One is for the equating the union with the lochot and lochotem, lo- and the other is for the actual.
0: Exactly. So you might have thought, maybe you've seen that that seems more intuitive to, to, to some of us. Um, it probably is more intuitive because normally we think about Shabbat. We probably think more about you know that don't do don't do malacha. Um, there's no prohibition of eating and drinking on Shabbat after after all. But the reading of Shabbat in Achila. It's interesting also in the sense that he thinks that that's the primary primary prohibition um, apparently of these, and the others are somehow derivative thereof, or I don't know when to call them secondary. Are they secondary because they're rabbinic, or secondary, biblical nonetheless? secondary in the biblical world other ideas we could, we could, we could debate um, that's a very interesting very interesting thing now I, I said before that there's no explicit um, text that I know of that actually says this that says that they use the formulation of like shita vis vis-a-vis the inuyim. We do have a couple of different pieces of evidence, though. One is the text we started with, which is will return to right? Which is that the a juxtaposition of, you know, ino'i malacha. And also, further on, the truth is, further on, the Gemara, um, the Gemara later on will say that, uh, how do we know that all these things are, are prohibited? As it says, no, you know, Shabbaton Shvut. Right? This I didn't give to you right now, but Shabbaton uh, Shvut. Stay in the same paragraph in the Gemara there. And then one shall refrain. On um, the text in your Gemara, in the Vilna, you'll see that it only refers to the other activities, and it says that, that the other activities are prohibited because of Shavuot. Thou um, shall not do because of Shabbat. Um, in some texts, like in some Josh Shem, you'll actually say eating and drinking are also prohibited because of uh, this verse of Shabbaton and Shavuot. Um, the point is that they derive the prohibition of these activities from the notion, from the words of Shabbaton and Shavuot, as opposed to from the words being and we shall engage in inoy. So all of that is, I think, precedent or support, as soon as the got it from, right? This notion, among other things, maybe the notion that Yom Kippur is basically Shabbat, and the activities one can engage in in Kippur are basically fulfillment of a quintessential Shabbat, a Shabbat Shabbaton. Um, And therefore, when we think about we're not eating and drinking, um, you know, one way of thinking about that is about asceticism or about afflictions, another way of thinking about that is it's more not doing. We're we're not doing from the world. On a regular Shabbat, we don't do Malachah. On a Yom Kippur, we don't do malacha nor nor these other things. Okay. That is in terms of uh, some of these rama. There's other things to say as well but, um, but I think what we should do at this point is what time do we have over here? 10:20.
1: Three.
0: 10.23. Okay. So let's go on for just another minute or two and then like I mentioned in the beginning we're going to go into the other room for nine, to mark 9.11 uh, just for a few minutes and we'll come back. Um, we'll come back. So if you turn back to your Gemara sheets over here um, we read the first right there. If you flip over to the next side. I'm going to kind of give you some of the... It's all interesting, actually, but just, I think, some of the really interesting uh, highlights here. You see where I boxed it in next, and it says, Im shakha, in This is a continuation of the Brita. And the Brita says, one option for understanding... Uh, how do we know that uh, the prohibition of Eno, the mitzvah of Enoi, the commandment to engage in self-denial is fulfilled by not eating and drinking? So one is, because, you know, just like Malachah is that shall not do, so, so too eno um, so uh, is that shall not do. The Baita says, if you will it, I mean if you want, I can give you another derivation. on there? After all, it says, the uh, Chumash, we just read this earlier, that one who does not engage uh, you know, a nefesh to now the one who's not engaged in inoi, and I will, you know, destroy or make lost that soul from his people, karate, et etc., spiritual excision. So the, the midrash says as follows it says, and I'll make lost, I'll destroy that nefesh, inoi, which constitutes a total loss, a total um, a destruction. Um, of the of the and here I'll use the word nefesh. I'll translate nefesh as the whole being. The a e, and what would that be? That would be the shtiyah. That'd be not eating and drinking. Meaning, if one was sit in the sun or sit in the shade, for example, it'd be uncomfortable, but one wouldn't necessarily perish. But what, what is a thing which actually, you know, refraining refraining from what actually constitute like a lack of like life giving to yourself, right? Would be denying yourself nourishment, chilah and shtiyah, and therefore. Uh, we see that Enoi, the real understanding of enoi is, you know, eating and drinking here, but you see also, it isolates here, eating and drinking from the others in this text. In other texts, in the same parak, it says them all together at certain places. So, you know, uh, the, the tensions in the parak already, whether the two distinct categories within, within the inuyim, or whether they all partake of the same basic uh, cloth. Um, now. Right. This is also very interesting. There's a sense that like nighting and drinking is a way of sort of like encompassing your whole body, getting to your very life force, etc., um, and affecting that. And that's how we know. Um, the Gemara goes on to say a couple of interesting lines. And then we'll have to stop for and take a short break for to Mark 9: 11. Um, the Gemara says something very interesting. The Gemara says, "Umai ve'im nashdach lamar." The Gemara says, "Why do you have the second reason of you know? Oh, first of all, it's like it's like Malacha, and second of all, you know, v'havati t'nefesh, I don't just have one answer. So the Gemara says, v'chitema, he only had the first answer of do not do things, right? Like just like Malacha is passive, inoy is passive. So I might have thought, ba'arayot kamishtayikra. I would have thought that the pastuk was talking about not engaging in, in sexual relations. Uh, maybe that's what we mean by inoy mean um, that's the primary act on Yom Kippur one may not have sex so that would be at the prime that's what it needs to be on Yom Kippur so therefore it says nefesh. that's why we need the other answer which says nefesh. something, something which actually has to do with like, sustaining one's body and we know that people can live much longer without engaging in matter relations than they can without eating and drinking so that's why it uh, says in a that's a chila that's a and well, This is very interesting because the Gemara in the next part, when we come back from the break, the Gemara uh, will consistently juxtapose um, uh, and focus basically on two issues, eating and drinking on the one hand, and a you know, sexual relations on the other. Um, and, uh, and sort of play one against the other so already in the which we'll do after so already here you see the Gemara is focusing on those two as like sort of prime categories it doesn't say you know, you know? if you will say that it has to do with not anointing yourself it has to do with not having, having relations ok let's stop here we'll come back to the Viva in just a few moments after the, uh, after the break I'll press pause on this ok so now we're, now we're back middle it is is transition is always difficult back from tick I guess like that, but we'll, you know, what, what else is there to do? Um, and we left off with the Beber Ishtemal. So, so far we've talked about this morning, I guess the main takeaway from the first part of this morning, once again, was and after the notion of the as an after quintessential Shabbat. I think that's a good thing to think about. And maybe for our own experiences, we can open ourselves up to that possibility of. Thinking, how does that affect our experience? We're thinking about what we're doing as shabbos Singh par excellence. Okay. The other thing we mentioned, which I, last week already, was the notion, was the potential understanding of Yom Kippur as a desert experience. And that starts right over here. Devei Rabbi on the first wide line where we left off, the the Midrash Rabbi Shema'el, Tana taught as follows. He said, look, you want to understand what is Inoy? He says, Ne'am Markan Inoy, Ben'am Inoy. He says, "There's two inoyim." He says, "It says inoy here and inoy there." And what he seems to mean by that is inoy Yom Kippur. And by context, you can tell he thinks to means inoy by by Anakara, by Rivka, inoy by the experience in the desert where God star, you know inoyed you and starved you or made you hungry and fed you the man uh, Malahalan. Just like over there is inoy Ra'avon, Ra'avon. Just like over there, inoy is. Defines how we're eating this sukum, I suppose. Right? It's either associated with or defined as hunger. So to here, inoi is not eating and drinking, is hunger. ra'avon. Okay. Um. Therefore, you know. Therefore, that Yom Kippur, the inoy is not eating and drinking, as opposed to like sitting in the sun, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now the Gemara, once again, I mentioned before, the Gemara keeps on raising the possibility of, is it eating and drinking, or is it not engaging in sexual relationships? And we said that before. And here also, the Gemara says, the may may b'notai. Why don't we take it, uh, why, don't, wasn't we, why don't we use the verse about v'im benotai" um, from Beratius 31, from uh, Genesis 31, where, where Laban says, if you will, um, where is this verse? 31 verse um, 15. 10. Yeah. If, right, you will ill-treat my daughters and take other daughters, you know, other wives, in addition, so that won't be, that, that'll be that, so, so it says "Lavan" to Jacob in their sort of treaty or in their, in their, in their covenant with each other. Um, and there, the Gemara says that has something to do roughly with, you know, marital relations, I guess we'd call it. It's on page 166. Matter relations. Um, um, so, so too, maybe also here, the Enoi of Yom Kippur has to do with matter relations, meaning do not have do not have sex. Um, and the Gemara says, no, that Enoi is different because that Enoi has to do with Enoi um, the Achid, a personal Enoi, and we're talking about Enoi di Rabbin, we're talking about the Enoi of uh, whole people the verse we're looking for is on page 66 in the JPS verse 50 um, when Lavan speaking to Jacob and he says he says to him you know this you know aid you know, this uh, stone will be uh, this man will be a witness um, and may the Lord you know watch us and watch between us if you ill treat my daughters or take other wives besides my daughters imta'anat in no time that's the verse that Gemara says look you're looking for other you're looking for other usages of that root of Enoi uh, of so why why you assume that the one you should hyperlink to is the one by the mon? why do you hyperlink to the one over here for example which has to do with something about Arayot As so the Gemara says something to do with like you know marital relations I guess in this context and the Gemara says no there are actually distinct types of Enoi, because the Enoi by Jacob on page 66 in Genesis 31 that's an individual enoid. that's enoi de Yahid as they call it it's a, a personal you know uh, incident an isolated incident about Jacob we're talking about the communal enoi. and the closest part- example we have to a communal Inoi Enoi, so far, is Enoi of the man. That's the whole people. Of course, the Gemara goes on to say, when to look at this inside, the Gemara says, well, what about you want Enoi of the whole people? How about the Enoi of Egypt? Right? And that would seem to be very... And the Gemara says, well, we're looking for Enoi, um, we're looking for an Enoi bidei shaman We're looking for an Enoi which is sort of commanded by heaven. So heaven commands Enoi, or what, what does that mean? So by the man, heaven sort of orchestrated that, God orchestrates that, so, um, and says, you know, therefore it doesn't give you food, so so too when God says, do Enoi, you know, for your, you know Kippur so says, people are doing it, but it's commanded by God, so that must mean not eating and drinking, the Enoi of Egypt is what's called Enoi may be Adam, humanly, you know, sort of, uh, humanly commanded, essentially, Enoi, um, and that's a different type of Enoi entirely. Okay, so without unpacking that fully, um, I just wanted to point out, uh, you know, Primarily that this is the first time we find in the Gemara, at least it's already in earlier sources in the Joshim, but so the Gemara talks about Enoi uh, of Kippur, as being is being learned out from essentially the inoi of the man in the desert. Okay, and in the Man in the desert, secondarily, once again, they can toggling back and forth in each short eating and drinking, marriage about sexual relations, etc. etc. Now, if you stop the Gemara here, and here's my you know, my main thesis for the next ten minutes, you know, if you stop the Gemara here. You would have said, okay, so this is one derivation among many, and you know, it's looking for the root of Enoine, and it's interesting, but. You know, I wouldn't focus on it, you know, overly much. I wouldn't want to, you know, uh, uh, put too much uh, weight upon this one derivation about looking into the man. But what actually happens if you open it, you know, if you, I give you photocopies of like a bunch of it, but it basically goes on for like in, in, the, in the Vilna printing it goes on for about like a page and a half, maybe more than that, side uh, and actually folio and a half um, of the Talmud, a long excursus or meditation, a uh, narrative about the man and more from the man, the foul. And the Slav in the desert, and 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 all these other things as well, um, and about 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 sex and about seeing in the Garden of Eden, and all these in all these things. And it's um, I'm always sort of intrigued when the. Babylonian Talmud does this when they have these juxtapositions of law and narrative um, and I'm always curious of what the effect thereof is. what happens to the halakha when you have the narrative next to it and vice versa by the way what happens to the narrative when you have the halakha next to it and they actually mutually reach each other it's one of the to me one of the most exciting features of the Babali so here I'm learning this Gemara, and I know this is long agada. We're learning it together. We're long agada. We're saying, what's it doing there? What's the effect of it? Being? Well, what would we be missing if we didn't have it here? And I think what's going to emerge, I'm going to try to cling to it in the next few minutes, is that um, this reading, even just a little bit of this agada, and I'll show you sort of, uh, I'm obviously highlighting certain features. Um, you'll see, I think the Gemara is implicitly claiming what I said last week already, which is that you have to understand the desert to understand Yom Kippur. We have to have this here. If we didn't do this with sort of this long meditation, you would be engaging the Yom Kippur, then we'd like to suggest to Engage in, at least this is this Gemara's suggestion. Okay, that in order to go into Kippur, you have to know what happened with the mon, you have to understand the fowl, you have to understand the Garden of Eden, you have to understand a lot of other things. Um, and that's what's going on here. So let's just jump right in and see what they have to teach us. So, says the Gemara, now I'm reading from this is a big bet there. This is a Seinzel's edition. Seinzel's, in case you didn't know, one of the things that he did when he, or he and his group, when they did when they printed the Talmud is that they punctuated and all that business, they also divided into sections. Right, like, like to make it easier for us Westerners to follow this, like these Tom you know, winding discourses, you know, which no one can follow, um, and that's actually sometimes very helpful. But sometimes the problem with it is that you think that B is not connected to Aleph, and actually it's not true at all. Actually, that so I'm sure that's not what he meant, but in any event, just to be clear, so we say in divarim, that uh, that it in chapter eight that God of Devarim that God you know gave us man in the desert um, which we uh, in order to afflict us. And we noticed last we noticed last week already that it's not clear how does getting the man constitute affliction. If anything, I would have thought that it's an expression of uh, of divine grace, right? How is that how is that actually afflicting? Um, the truth is that in general the passenger is trying to stress you know how much God helped us in the desert, not how much God afflicted us in the desert. That's the whole tone. Remember how nice God was to you. He kept your clothes, he you know, he brought you to this land, and therefore, you know, don't forget God. So what's this anyway? So Rabbi Ami Rabbi Asi, we have two Amoraic stages who say uh, two answers, the Gemara doesn't seem to remember which one said which, so the Gemara will say these two figures were involved, and one said this and we don't recall which one is which, which is probably interesting because that means the Gemara doesn't do that, the Gemara actually attributes that it's, the Gemara is at least saying that it thinks it knows who it is incorrectly which is interesting, so and this is we said last week and this is what we said last week that one who has bread in his basket is a is, uh, really distinct experience from one who doesn't have bread in his basket. Again, we mentioned this sense, last week, this notion that the inoy of the man is that you, didn't, you couldn't uh, save it up. The fact that you couldn't save it up and that you were dependent upon someone else giving it to you that is God, giving to you to the next day, that constituted a form of inoy. So I wouldn't much of I call that affliction. I prefer to think of that, think about it in the sense of Nisayel, in the man, to test you in the sense that give you the experience of dealing with other dependents, uh, not having anything to save, um, and that was the Enoi of the Man. And Chalamar, this is actually very interesting as well, the other major understanding in the Gemara of the Enoi of the Man, the Enoi of the, mana, the major, this is the other major idea, is, mi <laughs> The one who can see what that which they eat, I'm translating it, I'm interpreting it as a translate. one who can see that which they eat, that's different than someone who, someone who, who cannot see in a people can't see what they eat. And this applies to do with the traditions. goes on to say that the man tasted differently than it looked. It looked at it one sort of very uh, standard taste, but, uh, but actually had, could have many other tastes as well. Or maybe it just means that it didn't look like all that much. It looked like this odd food they didn't really know. It wasn't like the watermelon and the fish, which they complain about, and the meat and everything, which they complain about elsewhere. Or You know, you recognize the food stuff. It's like, no, this is a weird food. What, your, what you did not know, and your forefathers did not know, as it says, um, as calls it, lecha mabirim, the lecha and the bread, the food stuff of the mighty or the angels or something, but something odd and otherworldly, and you're eating it, and like it's not as you know, and it's not that comparable. Now, how, in what sense is it not comparable? So. The Gemara since something. it means that it's not, a, it's not as satisfying, actually. That if you can't see what you eat, you're not as satisfied. And the reason I say that is because the next line says, Amar Rav Yosef, Rabbi Yosef says in the third line of that section now, third line of that section, that Amar uh, Rav Yosef, who, as you may know himself, was blind, um, or became blind at some point in his life, says this is a this is a source for the notion that a rem is a hint that blind the blind uh, can eat, but they're never fully stated. Maybe he's describing his own experience. Now whether that's true or not true um, in terms of people's experience, you know, I'm sure many those who are many people who don't have sight can actually feel sadi. He's trying to say something, and then what he's trying to say, I think, is that is that there's something about some sort of lack of safety, a lack of fulfillment um, when what you see does not match up with, with, what, with, what, with what you eat. And therefore, the man um, carried with it a, a, a form of, uh, of intense, intense inoi. And the Gemara actually goes on here to talk about the connection between uh, sight, not only sight and, and, and eating, but sight and, once again, Rio. sight and sexual relationships, um says ri says Rishlaqish, Tov Mare Sha Yo Ter Migu Fosha Ma'ate. Uh the sight of a woman is better than the actual act of relations. Um, you'll you'll part of the gendered orientation here, but the, the point the point being that sometimes with sight, you know, our eyes are bigger than 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 other parts of our body, and you know,
1: that's more, more sex than anything Roddian itself. What happened with Amin and Tamar once he actually yeah. had her? He despises her, right. right?
0: Exactly. And it goes on, and the actually goes on to talk about sight, etc. And I would just point out that we're already in Gan Eden land, of course, because the association of you know that you see it as nechma Inayan, right? right Tovla right. was what's God. it? and yeah, it was something which was uh, um, 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 tempting to the eyes and then you see and you take and the seeing and taking in Genesis of course is one of the major uh, major tropes there um, has been, been developed at length in this book in the this rush um, so um, I, I think that something something here about the desert and, and Aden put together and the, a sense that the inu of the man is, it's almost like a fixing of that. In other words, that it's not tempting to the eyes, right, the man. And yet uh, the question is, can you, and the difference is not fully satisfying, but can you live with that anyway? So therefore the man has character through two inu yin. Um And, uh, and I want to claim, and maybe we'll have to do this in brief, but I want to claim that um, that's the same inu of Yom Kippur the Gemara is saying at length. The Gemara is basically saying that in, in Yom Kippur, the question is, can you A, can you a you know deal with you know in lo pasta salo in lo bread you don't have any bread in your basket what happens when you don't have that um, and uh, and for a couple of different reasons by the way um, and two um, two you know back to Eden as, Eden as, as, as it were you know the desert is sort of an Eden fixing um, where what you see is actually not what you get but. You know, can you get what you get and not get upset as they used to as they say in kindergarten um, what happens with that and to try to demonstrate that to you I have a couple of pieces of evidence in the Gemara um, which I find to be relatively um, compelling but we'll see if you do as well um, let me give you one piece of evidence the if you turn your page over now page 318 so obviously I'm cherry picking parts part of the Gemara for you but if you take page 318 I just you know, underline the line there In the, the Gemara is talking about the Nachash the, that the, the snake in the garden, um dust was his bread. It says page three eighteen on the it says hay amud in the Babli. Um that the Nachat of Ami again trying to figure out what does that mean. What do you mean that bread was his lechem? Bread was his food or his bread. So a couple of pardon me? What did I say? Bread. bread. I meant. I meant. Death. I meant dust. This is. This is bread. Excuse me. Like dust is his bread, or or dust is his food, because lots of them can mean both in Biblical Hebrew. So one said, "Same figures." One says, "One said, no matter what he ate, um, everything that he ate in the world, even the best, you know, delicacies in the world, tasted like dust to him." So he's eating many products. So like this all tastes like dust. The Chadar Mar Afilu Ochel Kol If he ate all the foods in the world, all the delicacies of the world, Ain Da'atom Yushemet Alav Ashi Ochalafar. He wouldn't be stated until he ate dust. What he really craved was dust. Very interesting, right? But I want to say two things. One is that once you see here that the reason they're bringing up the nakash, I think is clear is because they are talking about nahash before also. They're already in eating on the page before, just implicitly. Now they're explicitly in Eden. But more to the more I think even more important, this notion of Inda love is very, very important. Because Inda Atomushakalov means that the that the dust, sorry, that all the food products in the world cannot allow him to achieve Yishuv Hadad, a sense of safety, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of, you know, now he's not hungry anymore. It can't save his hunger. And lo and behold, that actually comes up again in our parrot in a totally different context, in Masechet Yuma, because I mentioned last week in the Gemara, it says this already, why is it that the amount which one can't eat on Yom Kippur um, is a kosteret is a specific amount, right? Like a... Um, um, a dried uh, a dried uh, date I believe it is um, but a big one why is that the mount why not like an olive is normal so the last page in your Gemaras the uh, last page in your hands over here um, you'll see that Rabbi Yehuda says that he's defining the Kosevat HaGatha he's defining how much it is it's the very last page I just mentioned mm-hmm. it right because this is already later in the cha- or a few pages later in the chapter but he says Ammar Rava, Ammar Rav Yehuda, Koseret HaGasa Shamru, this Koseret HaGasa, they said, is it teira mi kabebsa, is a bit more than an, an egg worth. and he says, and the rabbis knew that the Bahaki mi Yatva that with this amount, one can achieve Yeshu HaDa'ate, he says in Aramaic, can achieve that safety, or that sense of like, sort of like, uh, um, presence, and f- 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 I'm, 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 I'm now, I'm not hungry anymore, I'm like, okay, with what I have, I don't need to go elsewhere, if you will. And, but, dear B'yachim, one does not achieve Yishuv lo miyat v'adayteh. What's so important to me is that, that's the same expression, this is an Aramaic, it's the same expression of what the Naqaf what the was, was or was not able to achieve, right, by eating um, all the delicacies of the world that's just one example of well, I think it's very I think it's compelling evidence that this Agadah this narrative about the Nachash and the Man, is not here accidentally right? it's thematically linked with our understanding of the uh, of Kippur and the parameters of the Enoi on that day um, now let me just say because we're, we're, there's more evidence also but let me say one thing about, uh, about the Enoi of, uh, of the, not having popped the Salo um, and then we'll have to close. There's other pieces of evidence as well, by the way. And um, maybe this is actually a good a good, a good way to stop. If you turn to where it says page three nineteen, and start flipping back and forth, but um, I'll give you the whole thing. You could have it, and you know. I'm happy, to, I'm happy to learn with right you after, if you like. Um, page three nineteen says, Mahaman Khazera God Levanta Gan, the God Labamba Tamo, etc. That the man was like a god seed, white, and its taste was blah blah blah, etc. Et so they're trying to what do you mean, what do you mean? And there, what do you mean by that phrase, Kazera God, etc. So you see why I underline the word Laban. One understanding of what it means to say that it was white was Shemaldin bin Sha Israel, that it whitened the sins of Israel. That the man sometimes somehow acted as a uh, vehicle for atonement, right? Libun, if you will, right? The, clean, the cleansing of the sins of Israel. Um, now, how so? So the Gemara goes on to say, and you can read it uh, yourself. I bracketed it off there that there was actually, the man acted as a sort of a moral, uh, a moral oracle. Because what would happen? We know the man came uh, proportionately um, each to their needs. You know, so everyone according to their to their to their needs, not uh, not not any more, not any less. So Gemara says the man could check one's morality, one's ethics. How? Because let's say for example, um, let's say for example, one had a servant. Can be a slave of a another translation. this context, and one says, "Hey, you stole my servant." You still? We're talking whose servant it belongs to. So basically, Moshe would say, "La Bokir mishpat." Let's wait till the morning, and then for mishpat, mishpat will come in the morning. And in the morning, you'd see whoever had Mormon fall by their door, by their tent. Opening, you know who the Evid evid, evid belonged to. Um, If you had more by my tent, it means I have two mouths to feed a muscle. So God's saying this is where it really belonged. And it goes on to say more things. So the point being, I think, that the man is actually a literal, as you were, bochein Kleot Valev. The man literally, you know, tested, um, tested, or maybe I should testify uh, towards one's ethical standing and stature. The man, um, the man is um, the uh, test of our morality in, bari- in various senses. My Mah- Nachmanides in his commentary in the Chumash talks about this as well. Nachmanides says that in the desert, you know, the uh, by Mara um Sham, Sham, Nistahu. So, as opposed to Rashi, Nachman, who says that the mitzvot given in the desert before Sinai basically were rules of the desert, Torah of the desert. They basically were rules, among others, how do you live together, how do you live in scarcity, how do you live you know, in close quarters, etc., maintain your ethic, maintain morality, etc. So, I think that the man, first of all, is, is something which is, you know, you can't accrue the assets, and you're, you're, you're very, very dependent. Um, and in that sense, it's Inoi, but it's also Innoi in another sense, which is to say that if an you know, was designed to test, right, to sort of testify to, which is associated with, like how can you live together, not only with like with yourself and like can you be dependent, and but also with other people. If you don't have a lot of assets, and you have to figure out how to share, basically, and how to, you know, have just your own, etc. And it actually is like a, and it actually is a um, locus for um, or a symbol, if you want to say it differently, for a lot of going on in the desert. The, f- the fowl, of course, is the counterpoint, because the fowl is can to deal with much. and man is going deal with little. So, in short, therefore, for today, we'll pick this up again in two weeks. Next week there's a Yom Yuan, which I hope I'll see you for again, and uh, co sponsored between Drisha and Yishida Maharat. And the week after, we'll conclude this short series. But the two framings for today, therefore, are in Kippur as an act of Shita, Yom as an act of resting, that's the a perspective, perhaps. That's one understanding and I offer that to you. The other thing I, I offer to you is Yom um, Kippur is a day of the desert and that the Enoi of Yom um, Kippur is actually a day of returning into the desert and while last week I mentioned that here I tried to sub- sub- tried to start at least to substantiate that in front of you to show you some textual support we, we showed three right or three or four one the link of Enoi Yom Inu, um, Kippur to Enoi of the, the desert two the notion that uh, the notion that the like, is talking about, you know, daatom told me you shed out the love, and the thing, it can't be coincidental. I anyone who learns this paraphernalically knows that phrase, Right. It, 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 it resonates with regards to, oh, that's the man, you're not like Yom Kippur. Why are you talking about that with regards to the snake? Oh, there must be a connection. Three, the man is, Malbina, of in is, is, is achieving kapara for us, or somehow widening us, right, which we know of from Yom as well, and therefore the man is sort of the Yom agent. And along with I mean, 3b, I'd say, is this notion that the man our tests our moral stature, our moral, moral fiber, um, testing us can we live with dependence and with uh, scarcity, what happens to us vis-a-vis God, what happens to us vis-a-vis one another, in such a situation, and Kipper is like, okay, so do that again and see what happens. Okay, so those are a couple possibilities. So next time, again next week, is a Yom and then thereafter we will go forward. I'm going to turn off the recording if anyone has any questions, I'm here.